move over to 332. It's not that far away. We'll hang out there, okay? All right. Hey, uh, again, my name's Derek. We're in the Gospel of Luke this semester. And... Uh, yeah, today we're moving over to chapter 2 after spending a lot of time in chapter 1 yesterday, in last week. And uh, Luke is giving us a second-person account, but a thoroughly investigated historical account of the person of Jesus. And if you will, the view is from the ground up. This very earthy, if you will, personal view of who Jesus is. It's almost as though Luke, who never met Jesus, is, is exposing us to him from a first person, just met him today, and walked with him for years, kind of perspective. It's pretty great, and I look forward to doing it with you all semester. Um, and tonight, in some ways, what we're doing in Luke 2 is looking at baby pictures. Uh, Catherine, this week, was shooting around baby pictures of small group leaders, and, um, we're, and who doesn't like baby pictures except for me? And um, so this is sort of like... A baby picture of Jesus, sort of. Um, So Luke chapter 2, picking up verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they told them concerning this, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had all heard and for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me if you like. Uh, great Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, and we thank you for the gift of this word. Uh, it's my belief and the belief of some in this room that uh, these are the very words of life. We pray uh, if they be true, that you press them into reality in our hearts. Show us the glory and the goodness of Jesus. Uh, be at work, Lord, revealing uh, not only your reality, but your greatness uh, to us and for us. And we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, um, you've met my, our intern, Catherine, right? Catherine, as we we're getting to know each other last year, was sort of explaining her personality. And at one point, she sort of summed it up by saying, 
sometimes I just want to get excited about getting excited. Or something along those lines, which is a great explanation of her, and uh, which one of the things that makes her very different than me. And um, in, in some ways, what I'm asking you now is, what is it that really makes you excited? So excited that you have to share. What is something so amazing that you've experienced or seen in the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks or so that you just had to share with someone? Um, and I'm just going to take a guess on some things. Maybe it was James Conner's first touchdown when he came back. It's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Or uh, Pitt beating Penn State. Or, or maybe you're a, a media nerd and it's the newest album that just came out or the newest movie that's about to come out. Uh, maybe you ran into a hot Rob and you can't stop talking about it. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's free donuts out in front of the union. Um, yeah, whatever it is, what's the amazing thing that you've seen or experienced recently that you just feel like you, you have to share? And uh, there's a phrase that exists for this phenomenon now that didn't exist like a couple dozen years ago. Uh, the phenomenon of going viral. Something so amazing you just want to see it and you feel compelled to share it. Now, the thing about things that go viral is uh, sometimes they're fraudulent. And sometimes they're just passing fads. One of the things that uh, went viral two or three years ago is this really famous video of a little cute baby pig rescuing a cute little drowning goat. It has 9.6 million views in just one little 30-second clip. I suppose if I found other clips, I could add up all the views. Um, and in some ways, it's like the perfect video clip. We all want to believe that these animals are great friends and they loved each other. And so one rescued the other one from drowning. But it's, it's a fraud. It's actually a very clever fraud from, from Nathan Fieldman, uh, also known as the guy behind Nathan for You. He, he basically knows how to make something go viral because he knows what we like. And he put it together. Uh, oftentimes, things we're so excited about that go viral either prove fraudulent or passing fad. What if there was something so utterly amazing that even the most skeptical people, even those the most likely or unlikely to be impressed, people like me, uh, what if there was something so amazing that even people like that broke out in joy and shouts of joy? What if there was something so utterly amazing that it had the power to forever transform your ordinary experience of life, your daily experience of living. Because that's what Luke is presenting us tonight. Luke is presenting us just that scenario, that there's good news here of a humble king whose coming changes everything. That this humble king who's come, who's arrived, that's good news that changes everything. So if you're a note taker, uh, I'd like you to know that I usually sometimes make outlines and I usually get here too late to give them to you. That's the case tonight. But here's your outline anyway. Uh, we'll talk about the king's arrival and this amazing king's humbleness. There's actually a question mark at the end of the humbleness. Amazing king's humbleness and uh, how he's a king for you. So uh, the king's arrival is something we've been waiting for for a couple weeks now. We've now this is our third message in Luke, and uh, if you were here last week, you waited a long time for me to finish getting through Luke one, uh, but that wasn't nearly as long as the nine months that Mary's waited, or the four hundred years that the people of Israel have waited for God's promised one to come. They've been waiting 
since the end of the Old Testament, even, even earlier than that for some, if you, if you read the prophecies correctly, they've been waiting for this one to come. And his arrival could not. I mean, this, this great promised, much heralded, longed for son, his arrival could not be more plain, brief, simple. Verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. It's, it's almost like it's a boy. Like that's, that's the whole description of everything we've been waiting for. This great one's arrival. And if, if, you, if you take into account appearances, what you have here is a, is, a, is a small child wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. This is a baby like any other baby, only it may be a little bit more lowly and humble because it's, it's like resting in a feeding trough. The way he's spoken of in chapter 1, if you remember, or if you go back and read, the way this child's spoken of in chapter 1, you expect this child to be born in a palace, to be wrapped in silk, or to be delivered in a spaceship. Go back and read chapter 1, all the expectations, all the longings, all the desires, all the promises, you do not expect this child to be born in a feeding trough. And so, you know, uh, we've had four children now. I think that's how many we've had. I lost count. Um, but whenever you have kids and you're in the hospital, like, they rush in, these people, and they want to take pictures of your baby because they want to make money off of you, which I get. And you're at a vulnerable moment. So, like, they want to dress your little newborn up and put them in this sweet little basket full of pillows, and you get this newborn pic. And I get it. I get it. We never did that, by the way. But I get it. Um, well, in some ways, Jesus' newborn pic looks just like every other baby's newborn pick. Only there's not like this cute little wicker basket with pillows. It's like a feeding trough. Six or seven pounds of vulnerable little dependent baby. God in the flesh. It's amazing. But if you can zoom out, you can take a bigger picture. And the bigger picture looks like this. This whole family, seemingly at the whim of one man far away in Rome, have been displaced. This powerful emperor, in verse 1, issues a decree that everyone has to be registered. And if you look carefully and read those first couple of verses, the word registered shows up four times. Registered, 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 registered. Why? Well, so he could tax them. So this family, who are about to give birth, travel 90 miles to register so they can pay taxes. In some ways, this is the ultimate case of I own you, right? I make a rule from far away that seemingly has no consequence on you, only you have to do it. And I, and I know your name and where you live, and it displaces you at one of the most important times of your life, and I do this all so I can tax you. It seems like, if anyone's in charge here, it's the emperor. And yet... If you zoomed out yet further, if there was a bigger picture that we could take into account, we would see, if you took in the whole Bible into account, that 2 Samuel chapter 7 tells us that this baby to be born, this king to be born, is a son of David. A descendant of David. See that in the text up there? It also tells us in the book of Micah that this baby to come that they're supposed to wait for will be born in Bethlehem. 
That's the middle of absolute nowhere, tiny little town where David's from. What we actually see in this much bigger picture is, uh, is this baby, this promised one, being born exactly where he's supposed to be born. And that he is exactly who God says he was. And that this great emperor is an unwitting agent in God's great plan. And that someone truly amazing has arrived this night in Bethlehem. Now, there may be some here like me, skeptical folks, who uh, don't buy into the this is amazing kind of stuff. Those who are not so easily impressed. And if you're like me, also known as a jerk, um, then it's possible that the only person that can really convince you that something's amazing is an expert. It, It takes experts in things to convince me that things are worth looking into, frankly. And so uh, I need an expert's witness. And what we have in this text is an expert witness. It's amazing. Uh, we, we, we are confronted here with this event that the baby is born. And then this witness appears to these shepherds in verses 8 and following. The angel of the Lord appears, it says, and the glory shines around the shepherds. They're out in the field, in the dark, fielding their, you know, doing their work, and all of a sudden they are just overwhelmed by this experience, this sight, this glory, and they are rightly, the text says, filled with fear, as we would all be, because this doesn't happen regularly, say ever. And um, and this angel of the Lord announces to them, basically, shorthand here, this there's a baby that's been born. Like right over there in Bethlehem. And it's the most amazing thing ever. That's my paraphrased version. The angels show up to these everyday normal people, the shepherds. Hear what I'm saying. These angels from heaven who are up there in glory all the time come down to everyday people and say, you will not believe what's just happened. The most amazing thing ever just happened right over there. The angel hosts of heaven who are daily witnesses to the most amazing thing ever, come down and say, you will not believe what happened right over there. These are expert expert witnesses of the amazing. And they've come to tell the shepherds that the most amazing thing ever has happened, that there's a baby that's been born. So what is it that makes heaven so excited about this child? Well, first of all, there's good news to share. You see that in verse 10. They have good news, and they want to share it. Verse 10... I have like this little print Bible. I think I'm too old for it. The angel said, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He's come to bring good news. And uh, that's pretty amazing if you think about it. In some ways, what we have here is heaven making a birth announcement. Now, you guys are a bit young. Unless you have older siblings, you haven't had to make a birth announcement yet, most of you. Uh, You weren't able to make one for yourself. And I don't know if any of you have children but me. And so, a birth announcement, this opportunity, basically what happens is you have a baby and you go away for three days and no one knows what's going on. And you come out and you're like, here's the baby world! And their name is so-and-so and so much they weigh. And you tell the whole world. And what you're doing is you're inviting them to share your joy. You're inviting the world out there, your friends and family, to share your joy. And in some ways, that's sort of what's going on. Uh, Well, once upon a time, um, 
yeah, I'll tell this. Once upon a time, my wife was pregnant with our second child, and we decided to do a little social experiment. <laughs> Where we didn't tell anyone she was pregnant at all for like the first six, seven months. Yeah. That was not the nicest thing to do to people. And uh, what happened was, and we thought it was, I mean, I thought it was funny. (laughs) Um, Just to watch people's discomfort, not being willing to ask that really hard question. Are you pregnant? Um, But my wife said, after this whole thing was over, we should never do that again. Because I missed out in sharing the joy with others. I'm so happy for this. And I wanted to be able to tell people so they could share the joy. And what's happening is heaven itself is excited that this son has come. And they are sharing the joy with us. Sharing the good news with the world. And uh, the good news is that this child who's come is uh, amazing. He's, he has this surpassing greatness. He is unlike any other person, unlike any king. And in verse 11, there's three words there that describe him. They're like back to back to back. So it's really easy to look at this, like just one title, like executive chancellor or so ever. And you're like, oh, just one title. No, he's actually given three titles. He is the savior, the one who will deliver. He's able and willing to save. He is the Christ. That's a very... that's. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Uh, It was an official title. It was the expected king's name going all the way back to the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 7, there's this promise of a king from the family of David who will come and rule justly. There will be peace because of him. And then the the new language of Greek, it's called Christ. And uh, that's what he's saying, that this one is the king who's been promised, the ruler to come. He will deliver. And the last one is the most shocking one. And if you're a Christian or you're familiar with the Bible, this is the one that you just read right over because if Christ is his last name, Lord is like the third or fourth. You just sort of tack it on him and think about it. Uh, the word Lord can just mean great one. But so far in the book of Luke, it's been used 20 times. We're well, only in chapter 2. It's been used 20 times. Every time it's been used, it refers to God. Luke seems to be strongly implying that this little baby in the feeding trough is the great king to come, and he is of divine origin. He is a godly, I don't mean just like righteous, I mean godly king who's come to save, surpassing greatness, no one like him. And so what we have here in Luke is another picture. Anybody know what a Polaroid is? How many of you know what a Polaroid is? Raise your hand. I actually need to know. Good. Otherwise, this illustration will suck and be useless. So Polaroid is this really interesting... It was like the only way to take pictures when I was a kid, it seemed. Um, you push it and the thing comes out and it develops in front of you slowly as the chemicals react. Actually, you can like scribble on them and make all kinds of designs. Well, in some ways, in Luke 2 right here, what we have is a developing Polaroid. Like There's strong hints. There's, there's, there's information and data there and it's going to become clearer as we move along exactly how great he is and how good he is and what he'll do but right now we have reason to believe that this is a great child a king to come unlike any other who seems to be divine in nature in the humblest form you can imagine 
they tell the shepherds, this great one is here. There's a sign for you. Go find him. He's a little baby wrapped in clothes laying in a manger. Try to wrap your head around that. Okay? God come in the flesh, great king, delivers everyone from their sins. He's in the manger over there wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's a little baby. Um, and so they do. They go see. Verse 15, they say, let's go see this thing that's happened that God's made known to us. And the shepherds who are probably humble because they have a humble profession by nature, they have no problem with this seeming incongruity between his greatness and his humility. The great king, unlike any other, and a humble little baby. They don't seem to really struggle with that. We do. I really think we do. We uh, often err on one side or the other. Uh, one, one scholar put it this way about the text. The tension between his commonness and his greatness could not be greater. And in other words, what we're saying is, wait, wait, we're talking about a baby? Yes, we're talking about a baby. And, um, you know, it's, it, in some ways, attention is best summarized by uh, Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights, where he says, where he's praying, Dear eight pound, six ounce newborn baby Jesus in your golden fleece diapers with your curled up fat baby fall little fist pawing at the air. And his friend interrupts and says, He was a man. And I would want to say, He was divine. And Ricky Bobby says, I like the baby version best. It's really, really hard for us to hold humble baby, divine Savior in the same hand. And we have to because that is the good news. That the great king has come as a humble one for us. He's a king for us. This is the last thing I need us to see, and I'll do it quickly. We can know he's for us because he's for the shepherds. If you look at verses 10, 11, and 12, every time... The, 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 the angel announces or pronounces something about the son. He also says it to them. Verse 10, this is really interesting. Verse 10, the angel said, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you was born this day in the city of David. In verse 12, this will be a sign for you. It may not be a big deal to you, but think about it. He's announcing that God has come in the flesh. The greatest ruler ever has come. And almost every time he, he mentioned this great king, he also mentions them, lowly little shepherds. The lowly little shepherds are in like every part of the story. It's how we know this thing's for us. And to make it even clearer, he says it's for all the people, for all kinds of people everywhere. And that's good news for us. Listen, you don't have to like change your major into shepherding. You don't have to be a shepherd for this to be true for you, that the, the good news is for you. The, the question is, what do we need to do? If the good news is for us. And I suggest we follow the example of the shepherds. Real quickly, I'll pull this out for you. The first thing the shepherds do in verse 15 is say, let's go see this thing that's happened that the Lord has made known to us. And they go with haste. If you're a Christian, every week you need to remind yourself to go back to the scriptures or come to a group like this and see again the great thing that God has done for you. And if you're not a Christian, or you don't know what you think about it, then I would strongly encourage you to consider, if this claim is true, that God's come in the flesh, this is the most significant thing that's ever happened in human history. Any curious, open-minded person will consider it an academic necessity to look into it. Okay? And I want you to know this is a safe place to do that. To ask your questions, voice your doubts, 
Come and ask me afterwards. Love to talk about it. So look into it. Go and see. Number two, uh, what else do they do? They, uh, they make known. They share the good news. Verse 16, they go and tell Mary and Joseph what they saw and what they heard. They share with others. We should do that as well. I want to focus on the last one for just a minute or two. Verse 20, they returned. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd seen and heard. You know what that means? It means they went back to work. These shepherds have just seen the most amazing thing. Just heard life-shattering news. Just seen God in the flesh. And they go back to being shepherds. You know what? They probably died as shepherds. They went back to the grind. Nothing about their work or their life probably changed. What changed was them. They changed. They went back, changed people, changed men with joy in their hearts and the song in their mouth they never had there before. And I need you to know that it's possible for you here now. You are about to enter the grind. Or you're already there. And almost every college student I know attempts to do two things with the grind. Escape it. Porn, video games, alcohol, Thursday through Friday night revelry. I could go on. Escape the grind. Or become epic. Over, don't just achieve, overachieve. Work hard to distinguish yourself from everyone else. And your striving to be epic drives you actually to escape. Because you're not meant to do either one of those. You're called to be a human being. In the midst of the ordinary. To be a normal human person. And, and to be a person with joy and peace in your heart and life. You don't have to be epic. and You don't have to escape. You need to realize that the Great One, unlike any other, entered the ordinary for you. Because He wants to know you. Because He wants to give you His life. Because He came to give you the joy and peace that's talked about in this text. Alright, I'm going to pray and then we need to get out of here with all haste. (laughs) Good Father, we thank You for what You've done in sending Your Son. It meant more to You to send Him than it does for us to receive Him. Pray, Lord, that You would show us what a great gift this is. And that it would make a difference in our lives. That we would be those that go about the daily grind of life here with joy in our hearts and a song in our mouth because of what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, as you go out that door, head to 332 and thank those nice guys out there for waiting for us.